All right, so this is the section that's called a cold open, yep. but we're halfway through moving out of canvas, and I don't think we have heat, <laughs> and it's actually cold right now. I've got a blanket around me. Did you bring your blanket to the studio? Yeah, I brought my blanket to the studio. I'm proud you're, of you. You're jealous of my blanket. <laughs> I'm a freezing cold Scott Wayne. And I am a mildly amused Ace Scott And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're trash. We did say last week was our last week at Canvas, and it's, it's not. We're still here. Um, we're just rubbish. Well, you know, uh, d- like the rubbish we're throwing I, out. I suppose we're going to talk about why we're not in our new location later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Right, we'll okay. get there. But um, I want to go to Involuntary Sponsor of the Week. And we're going to keep it uh, here in our neighborhood on Southside. Um, so you can get a latte at Blanchard's, which is up the street from us. We spend quite a, a lot of time Blanchard's there. independent. Yeah. Gourmet, bougie coffee shop. Very very good. $5 latte, five and change once you pay for it uh, with tax. And it's really good. And we like Blanchard's. Um, but Blanchard's isn't our sponsor this week. Uh, if you walk across the street from Blanchard's and the Vale, you get to a little spot called the Locker Room. And you can get a Miller latte for $2.45, <laughs> like I did at 11.30 yesterday. Uh, and it was awesome. So the Locker Room is our involuntary sponsor because as we are relocating Canvas, uh, we've gotten to know the folks at the Locker Room, and they are genuinely trying to be really good neighbors. And I've I've just appreciated the, like, rough-and-tumble clientele, so none the of clientele, it's like yeah. a hybrid of... The VFW mm-hmm. in a small rural town. Mm-hmm. The guys in the Cadillacs pull up with their army stickers. Yep. And uh, and hipsters galore. But it is the last bar in Richmond that allows smoking. And by allows smoking, encourages smoking. I'm not sure. Look, if, any, if anybody who is based in Richmond, Virginia, knows how the locker room has managed to continue to allow people to smoke inside, I, don't know I would love to know. But will you describe what, what was on the receipt yesterday as we... Because oh. all this, this is all relevant to a future story. Yeah. While, you, while you're doing that, though, I was in Blanchard's this morning, and I did, I did the thing that I do. I don't really talk about this, but if there's a first responder in line, I was by the, I was by really? the drink. Yeah. And uh, so it was a paramedic this morning. She was in there, and uh, I, I said, hey, you know, let me, let me buy you breakfast. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> How much did she, she order? She ordered, like, this gingerbread thing that I, <laughs> I may have to remortgage my house. To settle up the bill for. Did anyway, you, I, yeah, I'll she's have great. One of those I, too. I, All right, so, so the locker room. We've got uh, so Scott and I went down for research reconnaissance. We'd been pounded by uh, by meetings all morning. We had to go down and sort some stuff with our neighbors, and so we got a Modelo for four dollars and a Miller Lite for two dollars and forty five cents. Uh, subtotal six dollars and forty five cents. After tax total seven dollars and thirty two cents. Uh, yeah, uh, look, if you're going to take it back to the old days when you can smoke inside, I expect the price, prices to reflect that, and the locker room holds up there. So I think this all bridges to me talking about my big mistake. Ah, here we yeah. go. Should we do this? I'm going to wrap my blanket around me, keep my tootsies <laughs> warm, and share my... So this we, is therapy. So we talk a, a lot about sunk cost. So yeah. lots of people struggle with the idea of sunk cost. So sunk cost is this concept spend a lot of time with the executive teams who are working on strategy, where once you've spent the money, once you've made that investment, whether it's human or cash, um, it is the amount that is irrecoverable 
And you should set that aside in your decision making about where you invest in future because you so can't you get that money back. Set that aside being the amount that you spent to, to date. The value, you set it aside. Yep. And what you find a lot of people are doing is saying, we've already spent $2 million on this software rollout. We've got to make it work. Well, actually, no. If, if there's the option of moving to a different piece of software and it's going to cost you less going forward, then one should do that. And it's hard for people to make those decisions. Well, I had to grapple with sunk cost thinking this week because I was the bright spark who um, actually Stinson tripped over it and then we went to take a look at it. And the space above this very smoky, emphasis smoky, locker room <laughs> bar... Um, was kind of perfect for us. It was an old violin shop, and it was hidden away. Uh, it was big enough for us, and and the criteria for our team is a little is a little interesting. We talked about this over lunch. Like, how would you characterize what the team want in a workspace? Uh, cool, but not contrived. Yeah. Um, grounded, but not shitty. Um, accessible, but still exclusive. <laughs> And with really, uh, with high-end technology so we can do our work well. Yeah. So, high, absolutely. High-end tech. Yeah. A good kitchen. Yep. Something modern, but actually it's got to be old and quaint. Yep. Uh, and some outdoor space. And some outdoor space with great parking. Uh, so, the kind of list goes on. But there is no, like, cool incubator. Our team would hate that. I would yeah. absolutely hate it. Yeah. Anyway. So, so we've... It fit all of those criteria, and we have not been able to. <laughs> we have more. Oh, Aransi was our sponsor last week. They were, we now yeah. have like six of these things running in that space. And here's what I didn't understand, is that the air quality now is better in that building than, than, just the than general it is on the outside. street yeah. and most other offices. But there is a smell. There's a smell. There is which, a smell. which brings us back to the receipt that you asked about. So the bottom of this receipt yeah. from our friends downstairs says, quote, where the air quality is always a solid orange and sometimes red. End quote. You're welcome, the locker room. So, that, look, they've, they've leaned into the fact that you can smoke inside. And I'm not going to begrudge anybody uh, their vices. I'm sure we all have them. Um, smoking a, a pack of smokes inside of a dingy bar on Southside is the vice of some people. But the smoke wafting <laughs> upstairs we thought would be manageable. We thought it'd be... Not even, we thought it'd be, we thought we could mitigate the smoke, and I'm not sure we can. And that has been quite the lesson. It in turns <laughs> out the old charming building always has a hole in it somewhere. I do think it's worth sharing with, with people who listen to this, the image of you and I <laughs> smashing through walls <laughs> on a quest to find the leak. As if we're in, a, in that... Uh, was it Showtime on HBO Chernobyl? <laughs> well, uh, we've was, got to get like we've that, got to yeah. get to the leak before everybody dies. And there, no, I remember I was reminiscent of my uh, of my dad in DC, late eighties, early nineties, um, in the like leaky house uh, in the the corner of Thirteenth and T. Um, the old beautiful windows, but just drafty. And he he would sit. He'd be watching TV, watching Jeopardy, and he'd have a caulk gun in, like almost in his holster, like the sheriff of the house. And every time he'd feel a draft, he'd get up and he'd sprint to where he thought it came from, and he'd caulk the window or the, like the the corner, and then he'd go sit back down. And like it's been like that with the foam gun to yeah. like to just fill spots that smoke has been wafting into our space. So it has been quite. A, 
not comical until we're looking back or right now. It's been funny. But. So we are um, currently homeless. And yeah. uh, for anybody that, but anybody who has a need for 2,000 square feet <laughs> of the purest air, just with a slightly smoked smell to it, if you've got an idea, you want to open a cigar bar or something, you let us know. Cigar bar and lounge. We have the space for you. Here we go. Here right. we go. So, let's go into the zeitgeist. What's going on this week? Uh, do you have to be insane to do this, question mark, link? Uh, I don't know what the link ah, is to, but I'm opening it. This is the link to SpaceX's launch of Starship. It's practice launch. I'm getting really tired of the BBC headlines, which presents these things as failures. They're supposed to explode at the end of the test. They're not going anywhere. It's to practice launching. Um but the BBC's like, and they do the test launch, and it crashed into the ocean. No, that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> the, uh, if it crashed anywhere else, it would be a problem. This is just the most beautiful photographs we'll put in the newsletter of uh, 33 Raptor engines. So these are individual engines uh, combined to force this thing into the air. And it's just incredible. And I do not, I, I am not a fan of pretty much anything that Elon Musk says. At the same time, I struggle to think, well, I wonder if the delivery of this type of innovation and technology, including working, SpaceX has to work with a lot of partners from NASA onwards, Yeah, whether you could get these results without being a royal asshole, is my question. Hmm. Demanding, pouty, upsetting asshole. I don't know. I... I don't know either. I'm not sure. I think there is a profile. I wonder if there's some survivorship bias here, right? Like, of what is the that? What is survivorship bias? Survivorship bias, um, because one exists, the thing they did to be able to exist must be good, right? Like, as oh, societally, because, we because have, they are there, yeah. Right. yeah so yeah, Elon, by virtue of being yeah. in the position he is as an asshole. Did it require him being an asshole to get there, or did he get there and he happens to be an asshole? And for all of the Elons that exist, the Steve Jobs of the world, yeah. the Henry Fords of the world, people who have done big things and were notorious dicks, like, yeah. did it require them being a dick to be there? Or the f survivorship bias is because they were there that well, we much fit their profile. <laughs> so I just yeah, there is a controlled experiment because Jeff Bezos is a royal dick and his company's doing nothing. <laughs> Blue Origins. When's the last time you saw a headline about that? Yeah, but yeah. you know, Amazon's doing all right. So, oh, they're doing know, okay, uh, I guess. One yeah. of his companies. Hey, in the, in just those two statements, we have guaranteed we will not be doing work with seven of the most profitable companies in the United States. No, I guess not. Tesla's off SpaceX. We like Sergey and Larry Page, though. We 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 still like those two. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so, but but for every the, wait wait, the wait three hang on. we, we, we trashed Meta and Facebook over the past couple of weeks. Oh yeah, we yeah, should we never fly to the left coast. Trouble. There's yeah, no reason uh, for us to be on the left. We coast. did like the Microsoft Innovation Lab, though. We, we did, said nice we things. Did. About I, them. Well, we're going to talk about Microsoft. Microsoft have just wait, 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 well, let me let me, let me finish right. this last right. point though, because for the three people I just routed off, right? Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, different eras, same type of asshole, like hard to work with. There are ample folks who are flying under the radar and aren't dicks. And there are as many assholes who have failed at things as have been right, successful. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, survivorship bias, yeah. like, do you so have to be So insane? being an asshole doesn't lead to success. <laughs> Maybe, probably not. Yeah. Mm, so uh, there we go. That's my thought. 
Uh, Microsoft. Let's let's do talk about Microsoft. We got a couple topics uh, on the Microsoft front. I think Satya, one of those people who are just known by the first name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, everybody's suddenly Microsoft has become a company to watch. I've always admired Microsoft as a company that could hide just under the radar mm. while pumping out billions of dollars in profit. They're marginally less profitable for a long time uh, than than Google, and just snuck under there. And so Google would take all the flack. And I think from when you were a mere child, Microsoft would get slammed in antitrust cases and would end up settling for, and they were seen as the ogre. And maybe they learned something from that. The, the um, yeah, maybe, maybe they learned to do that, but they've just, I mean, this move of hiring Sam Altman from OpenAI, well, let's talk about that. What, what do you think about it? The, my news stream has been full, and my text message has been filled with people talking about the CEO, OpenAI, being uh, terminated by the board. Mm -hmm. His co-founder quit, it, uh, resigned yeah, with him. Right. He was not terminated. Yeah, Greg uh, um, resigned as president. Yep. And so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of chatter about it, and this idea that the board did the wrong thing and a terrible thing. Microsoft have now hired Sam Altman. I noticed... Um, What's his face from Salesforce tweeting yesterday, encouraging people to come and work for Salesforce's. Uh, what's the CEO of Salesforce called? As soon as you asked, I forgot. I know it's gone. Uh, Why can't it's going to come back to me? Uh, so yeah, another company that we're not going to be doing. Uh, Mark the Benioff. Office. Mark Benioff. Yeah. 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 So listen, there is just no reason for us to fly west of the Rockies in this <laughs> state. It's a dumpster fire over there. <laughs> no, um, I, I keep getting the same. We were at dinner last night. Uh, we were, for, we were yeah. at Dude's Giving, uh, not our name. We didn't come up with it. Uh, we we didn't know we were at the same dinner last <laughs> night until we pretty much arrived. I was upset when I found I out you were invited you were to not the same invited. dinner. Yeah, I, didn't yeah. want, I thought it was yeah. exclusive and special. I was not. You were there. And and it was made clear to me last night that you were invited first. And I thought that was a little unnecessary to point out. Um, how do you feel about Sam Altman has popped up several yeah. times. And like... I don't know what we do that people think they ought to ask us this question. Yeah, it was, it was specifically it, it was interesting because the yeah. people who asked it, one was a data analyst for a big insurance holding group, and the other was uh, the, the head of cybersecurity for a huge bank. It, it, and then they asked you your opinion. <laughs> I, I partly was like, well, why asking him? Yeah. Wait, so my, my question is, why should I be mad about Sam Altman getting fired? And that seems to be the uproar in the tech community from which – uh, in which I grew up and from which I come, I suppose. Um, every, there's this like solidarity around Sam Altman, which how could we possibly know is the actual question, right? We think OpenAI AI has been doing well, we think. Um, we think that they've pushed the envelope on AI development across the world, and arguably they have with ChatGPT and going through various iterations of that product. Um, they, they have done some incredible work and they have a board. And the board's job is responsibility, often fiduciary responsibility, but probably ethical responsibility as well. And if a board has a responsibility to do right by the organization at, that, that it helms, if letting the CEO go is seemingly necessary 
and they do it, who am I to say that I have more information than the board does? And then this cult of, of the celebrity founder status that Sam Altman has, as the founder of Y Combinator, now as the founder of OpenAI, so on and so forth. Like this idea that because Sam Altman touched it, it must be good. I mean, we're kind of back to the like, what is a founder and are there people who are assholes? And I'm not saying Sam Altman's an asshole. I don't know him. I don't know the board either, but what I would say is there is a structure designed to make sure a company does well. And do boards make bad decisions? Yes. But this idea that we expect the board made an awful decision when you've got a board comprised of well-qualified, well-respected individuals whose sole responsibility as a board member is to make sure the company does well, let's assume perhaps that they made a decent decision to do a thing that was unpopular and probably knew how unpopular it'd be in did it anyway. There's got to be, like, the math doesn't math on the board's wrong, Sam Altman's uh, a hero. And look, if they made a bad call, Microsoft got an awesome hire, probably at a good price, and they're going to go on to do great things. But, uh, like, I don't know if the default of we should be mad about Sam Altman getting fired from OpenAI, I don't know that any of us have enough information to make an inform have an informed uproar. That's, that, it doesn't make sense. I think I'm done ranting. Was that the yelling at cloud section? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. I think I've just we've, yelled at my cloud we, for the we've, day. We've got yelling to come. Okay. So let's Am imagine. Am I crazy? Uh, no, because I, I do think, it, well, yes, you are crazy. But not because Around of this. Around this, the presumption of heroship mm -hmm. is very interesting to your point about that we, we don't really have insight into what happened. It was owned by a nonprofit. They have a very convoluted structure. Actually, we're recommending a structure very similar to this to a client of ours at the moment, which the whole point is, is that you can have subsidiaries that can make a lot of money, and then it is owned by a nonprofit entity that puts that for good. We don't, lots of people have been commenting on, this was probably about the amount of cash they were making, et cetera, et cetera. The, but the, the phrase from the board, well, I just want you to think for a minute. If, if, if this was Weinstein Pictures, mm -hmm. And the board said about Harvey Weinstein, we fired the CEO after a, review, after a review found he was, quote, not consistently candid in his communications. I'm not sure people will be saying Harvey Weinstein should be running Weinstein Pictures. Yeah. But because it's Sam Altman, we are. Because I think we go to a different presumption. But, I, oh, man, I was, I was on a board that pretty much had this situation quote, not consistently candid in his communications. That That's code for wasn't transparent about the things that he was working on. Mm -hmm. And in a field like AI, where we're holding summits to talk about regulation, and who knows what it could be? We don't know. The point is we don't know. Yeah. But we're very certain, back to <laughs> we're certain Sam Altman should not have been fired. I, but it, can we can we stay here for a second, right? Because uh, right now I see OpenAI staff threaten to quit unless board resigns. Like, I feel like we live in this realm. Like you and I specifically, and the work we do here at Envoy, like working with executive leadership teams, that would be Sam Altman and Greg Brockman and yeah. the exec team and, and, boards and boards of directors. All the time. And the understanding of what a board does and decisions executive teams make and risk and reward and trade-offs and remuneration, I think is this black box for the general public. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that, we like Sam Altman, therefore the board must resign. Well, that's not how the fuck it works. 
<laughs> and it it's nice that we think that. And yes, there are times when collective action can change how the world is shaped and outcomes. But this, like, we're mad because somebody made a decision we didn't have full context for. Therefore, we're gonna riot. It it feels uh, there's a sense of entitlement there without full clarity or understanding. And it's not even to say, again, boards make perfect decisions. They don't, they're flawed humans. But let's assume the structure that was created and the agreement that executives and board entered into is one that they all understand and they've acted accordingly. And you know, with risk comes reward, with risk also comes consequences when we miss the mark. Like, I, I feel like we miss that societally and now we're just angry and look to Sam Altman's credit as I was like reading Twitter thread um, you know one of the things that uh, that he said I, I just took a screenshot I'm gonna see if I can uh, mm -hmm. find that one of the things he just said was actually about uh, the staff still around and he was he was just giving kudos to the staff there and that they're doing an incredible job working through I think as he said a historic time and so look I, I think there's some class in a lot of mess and but I can appreciate let's go that back too. to let's go back to this board thing though so the, the board I, I'm very passionate about this the board of a nonprofit is not there to maximize shareholder value as it is for a private company it is to protect and advance the mission so I just pulled up the 990 for OpenAI. Open um, so for anybody not in the US, the 990 is a form that, that those organizations that have a nonprofit tax status, which in another country might be a registered charity, mm -hmm. you have to file this form with the IRS. And so part one, section one, is brief, briefly describe the organized mission or most significant activities. OpenAI's uh, open goal is to advance digital intelligence in the way that is most likely to benefit humanity as a whole, unconstrained by a need to generate financial return. So yeah, did the wheels come off? Because suddenly the, you know, we're talking about trillions of dollars in terms of valuation, but the board's job isn't to do that. And Sam Altman is free within the constraints of his non-competes mm -hmm. is to move to Microsoft. Like you can, there are ways to do it. So this, this feels like they should have probably hired a firm to mediate this situation. <laughs> what, what I, if only they realized that they're one of the few, few organizations on the West Coast we haven't offended over the past three months that we could have flown west of the Rockies and helped them out. No, it's fascinating. Like it's, it, it is. it's really fascinating. It is. We don't know. And I, so I don't know. I did have one last thought last night as I was falling to sleep. I would love if, if the board statement simply said, we were torn on what to do. And so we asked ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> and it drafted the firing letter for Sam Altman. So I was just saying, we missed, it, we missed the moment. We, we, we missed did. the moment. We did. Yeah. Oh, how about we, uh, let's go to Tools for Tools. All right, so I um like while it, I think it's fascinating. We're talking about Silicon Valley and and the West Coast and the the tech world. Um, I want to pull into the anatomy of a good idea. It's a talk that I give 
uh, I'm giving more twelve times a week. At yeah, this rate. it feels like it. The anatomy of a good idea. I think everybody is trying to figure out in a world that is moving quickly, AI driving a lot of our un, our discomfort with emergent technology. But we are watching a world shift in real time around us, as every generation has. And I think folks are are asking for some frameworks or guidelines by which to make better decisions together. So innovation is is what folks are asking for, but. Uh, what I found while I talk about the anatomy of a good idea as an innovation talk, it's it's not really. It's a behavior talk that it's a behavior that leads to culture talk is what I might say. So when folks ask if we do culture work, my response is, do you have fifteen or twenty years to work together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Because culture takes a long time, but if we think about individuals' behaviors and we start nudging or tweaking how they function the natural byproduct over time of a group of people changing behavior together is culture change, and I really dig that. And so the anatomy of a good idea, we, we basically talk about the environment that we create for ideas to thrive. We talk about uh, problem recognition or identification, garbage in, garbage out. If we don't solve the right problem, we're gonna come up with an elegant solution to the wrong thing. And then lastly, ideation and frameworks and kind of tools by which we can generate ideas. And for me, the most important thing I find, like how we come up with ideas is great, but, and, and how we identify problems is great, but it's the space that we have to make for people to be able to push the envelope and think about innovation or creativity or coming up with new ideas differently. And I find that if nothing else is true, we often don't create the space for somebody to say, hey, what if? And, and to nod and be with them. It's kind of uh, Lucy Taylor-esque in Yes And or Elizabeth Byland in saying, yeah, this is improv. So my singular tool is to think about, um, to think about ideas within an organization. And that's all any organization is. It's a collection of people coming up with ideas to solve problems together. That's literally any business out there. Um, to think about ideas as a campfire. And so uh, when you're an outdoorsman-ish, we make fires at least. We have bougie solo stoves. But uh, to start a fire, we start with kindling. And we don't put logs on immediately because the kindling needs air and space Mm -hmm. to breathe. Ideas are the same thing. So an idea doesn't have to be good. It just has to have a little space to breathe because a bad idea can turn into a good idea with enough space, enough time to workshop and tweak and critique and play. And we often want the big logs of a campfire on fast and they need oxygen to thrive. And so an idea, think of an idea like a campfire, start with kindling, which could be the nugget, the core kernel of an idea, good, bad, indifferent, there's no value judgment but giving it enough space to catch fire before we put big logs on. Those logs are often budget, parameters, uh, expertise, personnel, strategy. Those are all really important things. We have to have those. Just let the ideas germinate for a second before we kill them with all of the things we think are true. Because if that fire gets going hot enough, we can put just about any log in there and the parameters might change. Mm. Our budget might change if we've got a great idea. I'll go spend a million bucks to execute on the right thing, even if I didn't have the million bucks to start. I'll go find the budget or the people or the expertise. So my tool for tools this week, give ideas a little bit of space. Think of them as campfires, start with kindling, and wait for that fire to catch before we start putting logs on. Otherwise, it'll kill the oxygen and you'll kill your flame. Did you... 
did you choose that tool just so you could talk about smoke again and drive it home? Yeah. my decision. Basically. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. No, but on that point, the second, so at lunch, so we're busy moving stuff. Yeah. And at lunch, we all went for Mexican food, laughed at Alex for a little bit, and then we talked about, you know, the decision that we're going to find a different space. And in the car ride, you <laughs> and Perry were already generating the kindling of ideas of what we could do with, with, this, with the smoky space, yeah. ranging from like a cigar bar to a, a, to a Dexter-style murder venue mm-hmm. um, and private so f- sketchy sex club and beyond. And from that kindling, like a decent idea will come from it. And I'm yeah. confident that space will be used well within a few weeks. We'll report yeah. back. Yeah, because... No, but like, uh, we're kind of joking, right? The like Dexter-esque murder lab is probably not where we're going to land. Probably. Unless, well, probably. Um, but... Most organizations would say no out of the gate. And that's actually probably a decent thing to say no to. The exploration around ideas is you throw everything out and everything's fair game until we start to get some direction. And if you don't go to Dexter, you probably don't land at, yeah, okay, we can't murder anybody, but we could maybe, I don't know, let's put a bunch of slip and slides in the space. And then you get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the like fifth thing down the road is probably starting to seem more practical than we started with, you know, put tarps up and kill people. So there we go. Hey, the, the, uh, the slip and slide thing. That might be a thing. Ah, look, all I'm saying is nobody said absolutely not. It was just a eh, maybe, or maybe we just get to a better idea. So yeah, that's important. And it was to drive home that we made a bad decision. So people don't forget, Scott. All right. Uh, so yelling at clouds, we've we've yelled enough at smoke clouds. Let's yell at some other clouds. Ooh, here all we right. go. This is one of our great debates. It's not a debate. It's actually one of the things we wildly disagree on, but I think have made peace with a disagreement. No, I don't think we have. Let's fight it out. Oh, fair enough. Game right. on. Set the scene. Uh, I don't know what the scene is. You wrote this. Oh, the scene is... No, it's your thing. It's it's the virtue of early mornings versus late nights. It's not so, my thing. You so this. it's the idea... No, I'm saying it's your issue. Oh. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm essentially saying you are a problem. So... Fair enough. There's a broad understanding that seven to eight hours sleep is good for all humans. But we tend to celebrate those people who go to bed at nine o'clock and they get up at five. Is that the right math? Yes, five. Sure. Versus those people who go to bed at two and get up at 10. Right? We look down on those people. We do look down on those people. But it's the same eight hours. Yeah. Uh, so, question one, why is that? And question two, why, even though I'm calling it out, I still look down on you that you're <laughs> one of those latter people who go to bed at two and get up at 10. Even though it gives us almost 24-hour coverage. It does. Look, we got round there the There's always coverage. Ace or Scott on call because we work opposite hours. There we go. Um, I, I would imagine the early riser, I don't know for facts. This is pure conjecture on my part. Um, I would imagine we were kind of tied to circadian rhythm and the sun and farming and an agricultural environment and so like getting up when you could go do chores because daylight was important and i i would imagine we have just continued on that thread without fully questioning like i that would be my guess like why are we early morning and then some writers and philosophers and everybody says you know early to bed early to rise etc but i wonder if we're just kind of like 
tied to an agrarian culture. Mm. Um, yeah, we're still in that. I mean, daylight savings time is f- from yeah, farm. Yeah, it makes <laughs> no sense for anything ever. Yeah, we keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it was from farming. Uh, that was the rationale for it. Yeah. And nobody's ever been able to make a case for it. But so, uh, look, that would be my first guess. Um, for those who work different hours, I mean, I- interestingly enough, what I hear from everybody who says, I get up early and here's the value I find in it is the same value I find late at night. It's often, it's quiet. Folks aren't interrupting me. We're not being bothered. I can think I've got space. I find that at night. I was out in my studio late last night, um, wrapped up some chores and like just plugged in for a few. And I wrote and like, I was able to think it was quiet, just silent in my backyard. And that's I hear the same thing when you're up early before the girls are up. Like it's quiet in right. your household. So I, I wonder if the value is the same just when we derive that value. So wait, different. so if Lucy's an early riser, she's in the UK, that's five hours ahead and you're late to work at that means that we you get and more she overlap than are you doing do. the same like quiet creative time at the at, at literally the same the time. The same time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Which text is, each other, it would just disturb your quiet time. No, interestingly, I have texted Lucy, and she's asked why I was up. <laughs> You're like, she's like, don't insult me. Of course I'm away. Isn't it 3 a.m.? Why are you judging? And I was like, yeah, it is. I'm, I'm working, Lucy. This is when I, why are you up? She's like, well, it's early. I'm working. And so we've had that combo. All right. Yeah. All right, coming on to uh, Rendezvous. Uh, where will oh, wait. People, I'm oh, not done. No. I'm, I'm not done. Because there is... You I literally said you d- you weren't into this, and now you won't let it go. No, I just said it wasn't my topic because you wrote it. Okay. Um, What's important here? <laughs> no, there, there's a practical downside, though, because if I'm up until 2 or 3 and we've got early meetings because the rest of the world functions on the schedule it does for whatever reason. Next time we do challenging assumptions with a client, let's ask this question. Why is the work day when it is? Um, but, yeah, it, like I have to modify my sleep or I have to go to bed earlier to get – decent rest and be on and be spooled up and ready for the day. Um, so the the more standard, the more practical way to do creative time would be to do it in the morning when the rest of the world does. Like I, I get the short end because I stay up late and then do sometimes have to start early with the rest of the world. And so there's a trade-off in that. My brain doesn't spool up in the morning like my creative individual contributor time is night. My power band's like 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. Like that's when I'm like jamming. It is on. interesting when we're doing like an all day thing yeah. and the client will be like, because you're typically the higher energy of the two of us, yeah. the client will be like, well, let's have Ace open. And Vera's always like, let's have Scott open. Let's let's not have Ace open. Yeah. Let's do Ace do the close and the lunchtime bit. Yeah. But yeah, let's, Scott's let's. Three, three hours into his day. Ace is, uh, <laughs> Ace is winding down his day. He's still awake. But yeah, so it's, I, I just want to own that like, okay, we've made a case for it's the but same But for those time. night owls, yeah. right, I, I get you, you will be requested to be up earlier mm-hmm. because that's seen as standard working hours. Yeah. Nobody's asking me to be awake at one o'clock in the morning to take a call. Right. Yeah. Uh, rare, significantly more, less less oh, often than, than You made I, yourself a victim. Well yeah. done. Well done. Somebody's got to do All it. All right. And All right. Uh, now to our next session, questions from our enormous, potentially fictitious audience. Oh, yeah. So um, the, the question came in today from um, Samantha Altman okay. um, from San Francisco. And, and Samantha asked, have either of you been to the Sphere in Las Vegas, and what did you think of it? Uh, I have not been to the Sphere. I haven't either. Do you know what I'm talking about? Though? I yeah. mean, do you know what Samantha's talking about? 
God, you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I am familiar. It, it looks really cool. I can't, somebody was just there and was talking about it, and I have zero recollection of who it was. So I'm not sure important. I like the idea of it. Like these, you know, I, I know people. What is to like? Well, so you're in this big sphere, it's full of LEDs, and it's a Truman Show esque, really, right? You're in the bubble, and the whole background changes to whatever environment it is. Yeah. And the, I don't know. We were, just, ju- we were just in a new space looking at building a new studio with a cyclorama wall, which would basically just be a corner of the sphere that you're pretty sure you don't like. Yeah, but that would be ours. It would, <laughs> so if we had a sphere. <laughs> I, I do think, hang on, let's see if we can Google this. Have you seen any of the images of, of people being stared at through their room, their hotel room? Because uh, they put what? this like little smiley face on the outside. Oh, I oh, here. The last big sphere is keeping hotel guests awake. Oh, uh, because uh, so the like... From, no, but it's like a face. They just <laughs> will put this in the newsletter. It's just a big face around the sphere. So this big globe, but people, like, it's what people are waking up to from their hotel rooms. It's just this massive, like, weird s- character. Oh, that, that's in hilarious. Sphere staring at them. Yeah, we really should do video instead of podcasts. The things we talk about are not made for radio. <laughs> but our faces Barry, are. That's what's important. Up? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Oh, it's, oh, we are doing We've got three cameras in here. <laughs> Perry was pointing at the camera that we have in here. <laughs> uh, we, should, yeah, we should shut yeah. it down. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I have not been to the Sphere. I do want to go. Uh, speaking of going But places, what it allows you to do yeah. is yeah. create, unlike going to a concert where, or a theater where you've got your set, Everything's the set. Everything's like the, set. the whole world is the set. Yeah. I do find that very interesting. I saw some from somebody's show. Maybe it was Bono or something. I don't know. But somebody's show, they had like, a, it looked real. Yeah. Like the concrete, yeah, yeah. they had like concrete and then it was crumbling and then it like broke and there was open sky and it's, yeah. it's all uh, technology and where it has gotten freaking fascinating. We, so cool. we need to ask that contact of ours who has that technology that works like the Mandalorian whether we can talk about it. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we maybe do that. do that in a future week. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Perry, oh. Perry pulled it up on the yeah. screen. Yeah, I want that. I don't know why you don't like that. I want it. I don't know. I like. I'll go. You stay home. I don't care. Truman Show. Do you? So, that's the joke I make with Elizabeth. Yeah, I, you like that created world. Yeah. So Elizabeth runs a nonprofit that sure. supports adults with ID and. Mm-hmm. But. But it's quite common for wealthy people who have children with advanced uh, intellectual disabilities for them to like create a business for them to work at. That's what mm. wealthy people do, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a restaurant or something else, and it's for their child to have something to do. Um, not something to do. Identity and work. Yeah, sure. Something. It's, it's got to be grounding. But sometimes I, I will joke with Elizabeth that the bakery she runs that employs adults with ID is actually, I created it for her. And <laughs> she's gonna she uh, that Dexter the, murder the room is what she, she will need that for you. No, but it's interesting. Like, what if it's the same? You you joke often that my mom pays you to employ I, me. So. I wonder though, because the fact that we get to do what we do doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so if this was all just like one big social experiment, Perry's probably on the payroll. Let's see how long they believe that people are actually paying them to do this. It could be a longitudinal study. There was a a famous philosopher um, who I think he talked about this. He said it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine 
salt and pepper and heavy dip in the limousine. <laughs> and I think that's what he was talking about, is that <laughs> it was just kind of a created world. And um, anyway, speaking of going to Las Vegas to see this fictitious <laughs> made-up sphere thing, uh, where are you going to be next? I'm I'm home till next week. Wow, That's so good! <laughs> I will be in my backyard by a fire pit, actually cooking a turkey in a trash can. Oh, is what I'm doing. Very good. Trash can very turkey. Trash can turkey. And then hopefully not anywhere the week after. Uh, yeah, I think we we had some travel shifted. So um, I am gonna be home, and then I head to New York uh, end of November for like a long weekend and um, probably gonna see some folks on the front and the tail end of that. So, so if people are in New York and they wanna see you? Uh, sure. Yeah, give yeah. me a shout. I That's will great. be uh, probably at McSorley's Ale House, uh, huffing um, light beer and sawdust. That'll be what I'm doing. So as we transition to the holiday, to Thanksgiving, yeah, quite possibly the best thing that America has ever given America. <laughs> I mean, I know the Canadians have it as well, but it's the Canadian version. Yeah. They have got their own thing. The uh, we thing do Canadians beat us on is Niagara Falls. Their side oh, is yeah, better, better, but they're it's looking at our side. So, oh, yeah. wow, it's <laughs> just a lot in there. So, Canadian Canadian Thanksgiving, it's more like Harvest Festival that we have in Europe. Harvest Festival is what you're kind of grateful for the crops and stuff. Your Thanksgiving is all like, hey, we broke bread with the Native Americans before we, we killed them all. Um, yeah, with smallpox or something, gluttony and death. Yeah, generally. So, but it, but it is lovely. It's, it, I, I like to think of it as like it's Christmas without the presents. Mm -hmm. It's, it's as if Santa was tied up, and in a Dexter, you know, <laughs> facility, <laughs> and then we do the rest of Christmas with it. Um, so I love it. I absolutely, lo I love Thanksgiving. Um, but let's talk about the, like, people are spending time with their families, and yeah, look, uh, requisite caveats into about how much we love family. Um, I, do, I do. I love my family. Uh, holidays, holidays require social energy. And going into the holidays is really us just shifting from professional energy that we put into the work that we do, et cetera. It's shifting that professional energy to social energy. Um, so I, I think particularly around the holidays, we conflate being off work with being off. And often we're spooling up, you know, for folks who are traveling to see one side of the family, then traveling to see the other, for folks who have people coming in and staying with them or visiting, for folks who are hosting, for folks who are with family uh, who may not see eye to eye on politics or on life or on social issues, etc. Like often, often we're spooling up. And then there's the folks who don't have families and don't have people and don't have that social fabric uh, to, to be with during a time. And they're reminded of that. And, you know, it, one could go into all the corners of demographics and types of people who are in different circumstances. But what I will say is the holidays can be hard even if they're enjoyable. And the question that gets asked typically after Thanksgiving, certainly after Christmas and New Year's is, are you, are you feeling rested from being off? And my answer is always, absolutely freaking not. No, no. I'm not saying I didn't have fun. I'm not saying it wasn't good and fulfilling to be with family. I'm saying I wasn't off and I didn't rest. I just shifted my energy from what I do for the day to being with people who I happen to enjoy. But it requires a lift. And 
So I think as we're wrapping up here, just to say as folks are going into Thanksgiving, uh, to be conscientious of what that is and maybe not hold ourselves to the expectation that we will be rested coming back um, for our friends, for our colleagues, and probably for ourselves as well. So those are my thoughts. Anything to add? Yeah, I was going to introduce, to cheer everybody up. Oh. My recipe go. for trash can turkey. <laughs> so what you do is you, you go to the store, you buy a steel trash can, full-size trash can, Put foil on the ground. Steel, not plastic. No, do not get a plastic one. <laughs> okay. Uh, you then build a crucifix for the turkey. I don't. Think I don't eat meat very often. It's, Thanksgiving is a rare time I eat meat. So you get the turkey. You stick the turkey. So crucifix in the ground through the foil. You put the turkey on top of it, um, and and obviously you baste it and you add spices and whatever you want to do with it. You put the then the metal trash can on top of oh, the crucified turkey. Okay. All right. Get regular like barbecue grilling coals. Two, two bags of it, put it on top of the trash can and then all around the edges of it, pile it up, let fire, set fire to the bugger and just leave it and drink a beer. Celebrate your redneckness. No. And once the coals dissipate, the turkey's done, man. No. <laughs> you kick the trash can off and the turkey's ready. And your kids think you're, the, think you're very weird, but they love every minute of it. Next episode, I expect <laughs> a, a photo... Perhaps video from that ordeal. So that is what the people get to look forward to. Coco, if you are listening, this is your homework, is to film your dad doing this ridiculous Bush League bullshit in his backyard. <laughs> what? <laughs> no way. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to say, look, this is an idea, and it is like kindling right now. And I'm sorry for putting that massive log of I call BS. On top of that idea, I'm going to take it off and let kindling spark a light. And we're going to see how your turkey cooks. I'm going to go have a cigarette. There we go. We'll see you next week. Maybe. Maybe.